Orphaned Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and sneaking through the secret passages of the internet to menace us with her wriggling fingers is Lydia. I can't... (laughs) I don't even have a good response to that. I thought, (laughs) what am I going to say? I was going for originally, you know, a play on Lena Lamont or something, which we'll get into, but... (laughs) I can't wait to record this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Christopher. Hello, Lydia. Thank you for joining us, and happy anniversary to you. thank you. I'm wriggling my fingers in delight. (laughs) This is our 84th episode, which means it is our seventh anniversary. Seven years of Orphan (laughs) Entertainment. That is pretty insane. It is. We need a big fanfare for that moment right there. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Something like that. Well, I'll work on it in post. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a fun seven years, I think. Uh, and we, I, as far as I can tell, we can we can go on for a little while longer. There's still lots of movies to watch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we still like each other, so that's a big one. Yeah, well, we only do it once a month, so that's right. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be bored of me by now. Oh, if we did boo! It Other way around, you'd be knocking my head into a trash bin. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe I'm the only one with anger issues here. (laughs) All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's uh, start into this episode. And before we do that, I want to thank everyone for tuning in, especially if you've been tuning in for the last seven years. Please drop me a note. If you've been listening since episode one, I want to know. (laughs) Because good on you. But thank you very much. And for any new listeners, just let you know that you can listen and subscribe to the show by visiting Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and Spotify. And I encourage you to please rate and review us at any of those outlets. You can also just search for us in the Podcast Catcher app of your choice, and we will be there. Join our Facebook group. Go to Facebook.com and search for Orphaned Entertainment. And if you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it along to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Orphaned Entertainment. And there you can watch many of the films that we've covered here on the podcast and get a little heads up on what we're going to be covering next. All of these links are on our webpage over at orphanedentertainment.com. With all that out of the way, let's go ahead and listen to a five-minute mystery and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we will discuss 1931's The Phantom. Another five-minute mystery. Sheriff, just one more question and my interview will be finished. Okay. That paper of yours certainly wants to know everything. Uh, what one thing in particular do you think is responsible for your excellent record in solving crimes? Observation. Keen observation. Uh-huh. You can pick up a wealth of information from hearing and remembering seemingly unimportant things. I remember one time... Excuse me. Sure. Sheriff Crowley speaking. Yes? Yeah. Suicide? Ada Bell Fredericks? I'll be there in five minutes. I'm right with you, Sheriff. This is more than the paper bargained for. Uh, shouldn't there be powder burns around the wound, Sheriff, if this is suicide? Should be. That's why this is no suicide. It's murder. Murder? That's right. And I'd like to know where you two fit into the picture. I thought Miss Ada had always lived alone. Well, I'm Mabel Foster, the old dame's niece. She asked me to come live with her three weeks ago as sort of a companion, I guess you'd call it. Aunt Ada had very strange tastes in her choice of companions. I'm just as good as you are, you money-grabbing Beethoven. Break it up, break it up. Where do you fit in? I'm Paul Westcott, a nephew. I came here three days ago to discuss some business arrangements. At Aunt Ada's suggestion. 
What business arrangements? She was changing her will. Yeah. Now I gotta share half and half with this chiseler. I'm afraid you won't be sharing in any of it now, cousin. Murderers don't inherit. Say, what are you insinuating? I was in the kitchen putting nail polish on my fingers when I heard the shot. You have a nice manicure job there, Miss Foster. You know, I always smear mine, having the patience to wait five minutes for them to dry, I guess. Who's this female character? A reporter. Go on. Well, I was just finishing my left hand when Paul left. Where'd you go? I went out the side door to the garage, and I couldn't have shot Aunt Ada from the garage. But I didn't kill her either. I didn't have any reason. Seems to me you had plenty of reason, Miss Foster. Both of you. Cousin Mabel probably wouldn't wait for me to leave. She was just fooling around with her nails waiting. I wasn't out of the house more than three minutes when I heard the shot. Mabel probably ran in the bedroom, got Aunt Ada's gun from the dresser drawer, and shot her. Now I know who murdered old Ada Fredericks, and it wasn't Mabel. It was you, Paul Westcott. Do you know how the sheriff trapped Paul, even though he claimed to be in the garage at the time of the shooting? Well, in just one moment, we'll hear. But first... Are you looking for some great indie podcasts to listen to? Check out the Pod Nation list on podchaser.com, where you can find a list of great indie podcasts, get links to their official websites, and even listen to some of their episodes without needing to create an account or log in. So once again, for some great indie podcasts, check out the Pod Nation list on podchaser.com. And now, back to our mystery. You had to be the killer, Paul. Instead of going to the garage, you opened and slammed the door to make Mabel believe you'd gone. Then you tiptoed back into the room and shot your aunt. Mabel couldn't have fired the shot because, as the reporter here said, Mabel's fingers have an unusually nice polish job. Any married man would know that a woman sits around for at least five minutes waving her hands in the air so her polish will dry. But you admitted seeing her put the polish on less than three minutes before the shot was fired. Mabel couldn't have grabbed the gun out of the dresser and fired it. If she had, her polish would be smeared. Well, that's what I'd call having an alibi at the tip of your fingers. was distributed by Action Dramas and was written and directed by Alan James, and he was credited in this film as Alvin Neitz. Or, I, I'm going to say it's Neitz. N-E-I-T-Z? Mm, I'm going to go with you on that one. All right, good. That's all I've actually got to say about him. There's very <laughs> little information on this film, unfortunately. This film stars Gwyn Big Boy Williams as Dick Mallory, Aline Ray as Ruth Hampton, Wilfred Lucas is District Attorney John Hampton, and Niles Welch is Sam Crandall. I'm, I think it's, maybe it's Alleen? How would you say her name? A-L-L-E-N-E. You, like, smoothed through it very well, Aline. Um, I actually, all three times I watched this went, how do you pronounce that? <laughs> uh, yeah, let's say Aline. Aline? I like it because it's kind of like Eileen, but it's with an A. That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Well, Gwen Big Boy Williams was a son of a congressman that represented the state of Texas. When Williams returned from serving in the Army, he found that his father had pulled some strings to secure him a position in West Point. So Williams decided to become an actor instead. (laughs) He made his way to Hollywood (laughs) and eventually, through happenstance, befriended Will Rogers, who put Williams in several of his films. I think they, uh, the trivia I read, too, that they played polo together. Williams was actually a very proficient polo player. Interesting. I noticed he was in a lot, but I didn't catch that connection to mm-hmm. Will Rogers. Yeah, Will Rogers is the one responsible for giving the six-foot-two man his nickname due to you know his size and his <laughs> kind of hulking frame. Williams found plenty of work in both low-budget and blockbuster westerns. Including Santa Fe Trail. He, we've, we've seen him before. Mm-hmm. He was windy. I didn't realize that. He was one of the kind of the comic sidekicks yeah. in, the, uh, <laughs> in the movie. Sometimes he would headline the film, but most of his work was in supporting roles. In particular, the somewhat dim but well-meaning sidekick. Yeah. The lovely... Uh, now, 
I'm breaking on how to say her name. The lovely Aline Ray found her fame somewhat fleeting. In 1919, a film producer visiting San Antonio, Texas, met Ray and insisted she take part in the film he was making. After this, her friends encouraged her to enter a contest being held by a magazine company. And she was the winner from a field of candidates from throughout the United States. The winner got a role in a motion picture. By 1924, she was making serials for Path A. Or Path. I, again, I, think it's Path I never a. figured out how to say that name. I, I always went with Path A. Path A? Mm -hmm. I like it. It's got the E with a little accent, typically, so <laughs> Path A. It's very Francais. <laughs> yes. <laughs> her natural athletic ability led to her often refusing to use a double as she wanted to perform, perform her own stunts. Unfortunately, she had a difficult time as the pictures moved to sound. Her light voice was very difficult to record under the equipment at the time. The Phantom would be one of her last films before retiring from acting. She would appear one last time in 1941 as the stowaway Helen in the film Gun Cargo. But that's it. And that's really all the information I have. There is kind of nobody or nothing remarkable in yeah. this film that I can really talk about beyond what I just said. There, It's interesting. There are a lot of people that you feel like you should recognize, but not necessarily a lot that you actually do. Uh, one little tidbit, the character Lucy in this actually shares a last name with the director. Uh, so originally she was born as a Neitz. And kind of interestingly, that made me wonder if that's how she ended up in this film. Oh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. She was another uh, another actress that kind of worked for a while, then left acting to like start a family mm -hmm. and then came back for a little bit and then went, oh, yeah, that's enough. And then retired again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a few people that I have a feeling that if we watch more films from the 20s, 30s and 40s, we may see again. Mm hmm. Um, but yeah, they're not like the big names. They're not the big stars or anything that you're going to you know, recognize off the top of your head. No. And a lot of them, like Niles Welch plays Sam, um, it, he seems so familiar. And I have to think I've seen him in other things, but uh, nothing popped out at me when I was looking through his credits. Well, so, he's the kind of he's the kind of actor. He's the kind of man that just he's that he's that kind of <laughs> actor you he's know he's like oh iconic. he's mm -hmm. yeah he's the boss he's gonna be you know the man in charge he's gonna be the editor he's gonna be mm -hmm. the police chief and possibly uh, the slightly questionable one <laughs> yeah possibly yeah mm -hmm. i could see him i could definitely see him being sort of the the villain or the head of a crime family or something mm -hmm. like that in a film mm -hmm. yeah i could see that a little smarmy maybe sometimes uh, yeah, exactly. So I can see where you like, boy, he seems familiar, he but seems maybe so familiar. it's just the character. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, I guess uh, we're ready to get into the synopsis of this film. The film opens at a prison, and preparations are being made for an execution. Outside the prison, a biplane circles. The warden inside is being interviewed by a local paper about the soon-to-be-executed inmate. According to the warden, the prisoner seems to have no fear of the electric chair. A guard comes in and tells the warden about the plane, but the warden just kind of brushes it off. The phone rings, and the warden is told everything is ready for the execution. Outside, an inmate has scaled the prison wall and leaps to the top of a passing locomotive. The plane swoops in lower and drops a ladder. Inside, the warden gets the news. The Phantom has escaped. It looked to me like these were practical. Uh, for the most part, were somewhat practical, special, not special Oh, yeah. Stunts. <laughs> Stunts. Yeah. Thank you. That's the word I wanted. Um, even, you know, e even though there are a couple of shots where, yeah, that probably could have been, you know, in front of a moving screen. Definitely the bit mm -hmm. where he's jumping to the plane has to have been a practical stunt. Oh, I think, the, I think the whole thing is a stunt. Him jumping to the train and mm -hmm. looked like he damn near overshot and fell off and clung for his life 
uh, and it was caught all on film. I, I felt know. like he rolled on purpose on that one. <laughs> I don't know. I watching, him cl- <laughs> watching him cling to the side of that train car. <laughs> I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> he's probably sitting there. You can't hear it, but he's yelling, for God's sake, put the camera down. <laughs> right. Help. <laughs> well, back outside, the plane drops in lower and the escaped prisoner climbs onto the ladder and is flown away. Yeah, I was not expecting this. Me neither. Uh, beginning this film, and suddenly you see a uh, stunt air show mm-hmm. go on. Yeah. <laughs> the local police put out an all-points bulletin warning that the Phantom is in the city. You're on the air now, Chief. This is Chief Murphy speaking. The Phantom is supposed to be somewhere here in the city. He is a most desperate criminal, a killer, a human tiger. Take no chances and shoot to kill. At the office of the local paper, a police detective drops in on editor Sam Crandall. The detective actually wants to see one of the reporters, Ruth Hampton. Hello, Mr. Crandall. Well, Winters, what can I do for the law? Well, I want to see Miss Hampton. Why? A report has reached headquarters that the Phantom is out to get her father, the D.A., Hampton had nothing to do with sending him up. I know. We've been tipped off. He feels our district attorney's office responsible for his conviction. Oh, I see. Well, she's out right now covering a society wedding, but she'll be back in a few minutes. Sit down. Make yourself at home. Thanks. Elsewhere in a courtroom, the D.A., Hampton, is headed into the court when a police sergeant stops him. He is to be Hampton's bodyguard until they catch the phantom, since the criminal has made threats against him. Hampton produces a telegram that he has received. Yes, well, that might explain this, he says. (laughs) The paper reads, We'll be in your home at 12.30 tonight to make you a proposition. Stop. Do not try to trap me. The Phantom. The sergeant figures this will make it real easy if Hampton is willing to meet the Phantom. Hampton agrees, and the sergeant leaves. Um, he was your bodyguard? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he's waiting outside the courtroom. Uh, maybe, maybe. Back at the paper, Ruth has returned and has been told that she will be getting police protection as well. Well, the chief's orders, Miss Hampton. We must accompany you everywhere. All right. But I think it's silly. Imagine your society reporter being guarded by handsome officers everywhere she goes. It's so soft and light and almost lispy. But the the thing that really caught me immediately, and and usually I would wait until the end of our conversation to talk about something like this, but as soon as I heard her speak, I immediately thought of Lena Lamont. And I immediately wondered if she was the inspiration for the character of Lena Lamont, that classic, you know, silent film actress that as soon as talkies come on the stage or on the scene, I should say, mm-hmm. loses her livelihood because she just isn't right for talking in film. Right. Uh, her her enunciation of things seems very coached, but she slips out of it quickly. She has that kind of high-pitched voice. There's a lot of... She has, you know, she's incredibly beautiful, and she has the facial expressions, but anytime she talks, it seems a little... Uh, it almost feels like they try to keep her from talking in this film. It's very, mm. it's a little bit strange. The detective Lee says the phone rings. Ruth's boyfriend is downstairs. Sam tells him to come straight up, and then he passes the phone to Ruth. They chat briefly before Sam takes the phone back. This is his private line. He, <laughs> he wants to keep it open. He hangs up and glares at Ruth. Are you in love with this fellow, Ruth? Yes, Sam. Why do you ask? Why do I ask? Surely, Ruth, you have some idea how I feel toward you. Don't you know I love you, Ruth? Why, Sam, I didn't realize that. Ruth apologizes for not realizing Sam's feelings. Sam asks her if she has told her father about her relationship. We were waiting for Dick to make good before I told him about it. Why? Well, 
You see, this is Dick's first job. And it isn't very much of a position. Well, we were rather waiting on you. Yes. <laughs> the truth is, we were waiting for you. We were rather waiting. That's what she says. She says, we were rather waiting on you. And it's... The only time she says ah instead of ah. <laughs> yeah. There are like two other points where she does, but for the most part, it just sounds awkward and coached. Yeah, she definitely sounds like she's uh, been taking like Eliza Doolittle classes or something. Addiction. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> she knows Moses supposes his toes are roses. <laughs> <laughs> Ruth and Dick were waiting on Sam to give Dick his job, his big chance. If Sam gives Dick the job he wants, he and Ruth will get married. And Sam looks sad about this. But you know what? I actually, interestingly, possibly interestingly, maybe this isn't so interesting, I immediately liked Sam. I, I no, Sam was, you know, it's an interesting, it was an interesting aspect to throw into a story like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kind of unrequited love triangle or something like it. And that... It's now if he does like the good thing, like by giving Dick this reporter job, he in fact seals the deal for the two couple for the girl that he loves to marry someone else. Like that's a bit of a a big heavy kind of drama plot to be to plop mm-hmm. into a this this chiller comedy. Mm-hmm. Well, I was interested to see how it played out. Oh, absolutely. But at this point, we had no idea who dick mallory was i don't think we've met him yet no we have not met him we do not meet him for quite some time yet because sam sends ruth off to get to work on her report and he'll see what he what can be done for dick it's eleven forty-five at the hampton house the sergeant is making preparations to lay his trap he gives hampton a gun and questions hampton about his butler he's only been with him a short time but he came highly recommended The sergeant questions him briefly, but the butler is not forthcoming with any answers. What's your name? James. Hmm. James, huh? (laughs) What's your real name? (laughs) What? That is literally the only word, the only word that he gets out of the butler, but he's sure that butler's lying to him. (laughs) I think that's part of the Collins, I think that's part of his character is he doesn't trust anybody, but he doesn't really have a good reason not to trust anybody. He's just darn determined not to trust anybody. Yeah. He read about it in a a dime novel, so he feels like that's what he he has to be. (laughs) He got his training off the rack (laughs) down at the drugstore. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, the sergeant uh, orders the butler to stay in his room. The butler begins to climb the stairs, but then quietly eavesdropped on the sergeant and Hampton. Red herring number one. <laughs> <laughs> the sergeant suspects the butler of lying to him, even though the guy, like I said, only gave his name, but tells Hampton to keep cool. He'll be right upstairs. The sergeant snoops around a large bedroom while the butler spies on him. Then, while the sergeant turns his back, makes a dash for the other side of the room, unseen. Downstairs, the clock strikes twelve, and a figure is seen lurking outside the window. Hampton sits nervously. We see a cat come into the room, get spooked by something, and then take off into the hall. Kitty! A woman screams, and Hampton runs to investigate. (laughs) She doesn't scream, Kitty. That was just me. (laughs) A maid is sitting on the steps. The cat scared her. Hampton orders her upstairs, but she is again frightened by the shadow of a man with a gun. This turns out to be the police sergeant. She is she's frightened beyond anything I've seen in any movie unless it was a caricature of a servant. And I mean and she obviously she's playing a servant, but it it she's it, it <laughs> is it just me or is she a little weird? <laughs> Lucy the maid is a little odd. She's... As is her, I guess, husband or boyfriend, Shorty the chauffeur. Yeah. <laughs> we'll meet I... him soon. Yeah. I mean, Shorty is, oh, we'll talk about Shorty in a minute, but Lucy seems like she's clutching the railing, unable to move because she was frightened by a cat and her eyes are huge and I'm wondering where they found lucy <laughs> yeah how how highly recommended did she come yeah you know? <laughs> i'm thinking maybe they did a favor for a friend's family by maybe. hiring her 
Maybe she came with Shorty. That was just part of the deal. That would make a lot of sense. We see a small wood screen being moved back into place from outside, and a man climbs some dark stairs. Back inside, the sergeant assures Hampton that no one can get to the house. I'm sorry, the sergeant assures Hampton that no one can get to the house. Upstairs, the frightened maid huddles in the bedroom, possibly seeing the closet door open by itself. Lucy's so scared she can't even sit in the chair. I'm just shaking my head. It's not good radio, but I'm just shaking my head. <laughs> she, oh, Lucy. Oh. Well, it's obvious that Lucy, and then, like I said, we'll soon meet Shorty, but they are the comic relief in they're this the, film. There's the, the fairly heavy-handed comic relief. Oh, oh, yeah, they, they are they subtle. They might be the lead glove comic relief. <laughs> Downstairs, Hampton sets the gun down on the desk and rereads the telegram. While his attention is elsewhere, a hand quietly reaches across the desk and snatches the gun. And we get about a minute of perplexed Hampton, kind of <laughs> slowly looking for the gun and sitting and looking. And we get a lot of minutes of perplexed people in this movie. Yes. <laughs> At 12.30 exactly, a voice from behind Hampton asks if he's been expecting anyone. A man holding the pistol smirks at Hampton and motions him to sit. Hampton sits, and when the man sets down the gun, Hampton grabs it. But the mystery man shows him the magazine. That gun isn't loaded. Aha! <laughs> he doesn't ha-ha. I did, but, you know. I was expecting <laughs> a ha-ha. Oh, yeah. No, there there is a lot of places for ahas Uh and things in this film yes (laughs) but it it is worth mentioning that the mystery man is very uh obviously he's very ahead of everybody else and very smooth the man says he has a proposition for hampton but before we find out what it is a car pulls up outside the man goes to the window and sees the police detective dropping off ruth hampton tries to use a button for that presumably activates a burglar alarm but he's informed by the man that that, too, has been disconnected. Ruth comes in, says goodnight to her father, who does not tell her of his guest, and she heads upstairs. Lucy has to unlock the door to let her in. What in the world is the matter with you? Oh, I'm so scared. Oh, dear. You're always afraid of something. Haven't I told you there's nothing to be frightened of in our own home? But I don't like this place. I wish we were back in our dear old home. Oh, Lucy, don't be absurd. Downstairs, the man again begins to talk to Hampton, but is interrupted by a book falling from a bookcase. The man sends Hampton out into the hall while he investigates. As soon as he leaves the room, Hampton calls out the door to the police. They rush in, but find the room empty, except for the man's hat. Upstairs, the maid is going to hang Ruth's coat up in the closet. As she opens the door, she sees someone sliding the back wall of the closet open. She backs away and faints. Another mystery man enters the room from the closet, wearing a black hat and a cape, which he uses to hide his face in typical evil style. Very evil. He menaces Ruth with wriggling fingers and a maniacal laugh. I literally laughed out loud. (laughs) So did I. It it goes from being menacing and terrifying to all of a sudden he's all, (laughs) fingers in your face, not touching, can't get mad, not touching, can't get mad. And you're like, This is 1931 snidely whiplash. it's exactly like that and i i it was so weird because up until this very moment i've been going oh no the phantom's coming this is really intense i get it the maid is really freaked out and then he wiggles his fingers and cackles and i went what (laughs) 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 oh my that's uh uh mm." yes (laughs) that's exactly what that is The first mystery man is seen climbing a secret staircase just as Ruth pulls a pistol out from under her pillow. Good girl. Yeah, she (laughs) threatens to shoot and the phantom retreats just as the man enters the room from the closet. He sees the maid on the floor and when he goes to check on her, the phantom hits him over the head and escapes through the secret passage. 
the man fires a shot after the phantom and gives chase. The shot alerts the police and they all run up to the bedroom. The police head into the passage. Sam arrives as all this is happening. Man number one is seen pushing the wood screen out of the wall, but fearing he has lost the phantom, ducks back inside. Is it just me or does Sam look awfully suspicious at this moment? Oh, yeah, he's like red herring number two at this point. (laughs) Sam and Hampton are asking Ruth about what happened when the butler comes staggering out of the closet, bound and gagged. He explains that he wandered in and then was attacked. Not exactly. What does he say? I had occasion to go in there. He snuck in while the sergeant was looking around the bedroom. So he knew about the secret passage somehow? Apparently everybody knows about it except for Hampton. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't call it secret passage. It's just the passage Hampton doesn't know about. (laughs) The next person goes to the Grand Central Station. (laughs) Well, the men leave, and Ruth goes to bed. In the room where she was just attacked from someone coming into her room from a secret passage. Like you do. Like, yeah. Downstairs, the, the, uh, the maid and chauffeur, Lucy and Shorty, witness the bookcase opening, and they run outside. Man number one exits from the bookcase and is caught by the police and Hampton. The police think that they have caught their man... But Sam says that this man is Dick Mallory, one of his reporters. Well, Dick leaves Sam to explain to Hampton what he's been what he's been doing there, while he gives the police a tour of the secret passage. Ruth apparently can't sleep after all and has gotten dressed. <laughs> she can't sleep in that thirty seconds since everybody else left her bedroom. <laughs> right? Maybe she. Maybe it finally dawned on her. Wait a minute. There's a. <laughs> There's a secret passage in my closet <laughs> that people have been coming and going in all night. <laughs> Maybe this isn't the place to take a nap. Yeah. Is it just me or does she seem a bit familiar with that passage after a moment? Uh, they, well, like we were saying, everybody does. <laughs> everybody knows about it but her dad. Well, yeah. that puts a whole spin on her bedroom, doesn't it? Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> She goes to the secret passage and calls for Dick, who comes up the stairs. Dick, I think I know where he is. You do? Do you know a doctor by the name of Walden? Walden? Dr. Walden. The only Dr. Walden I know is that old quack that has a sanitarium out on Country Drive. I'll bet that's the place. Why do you say that? Well, when the Phantom was in my room... He kept muttering something about what a wonderful subject I'd make for uh, Dr. Walden's experiments. Experiments? I think I'll go out there and let him experiment on me. Well, I'm going with you. All right, we'll sneak out of here and take your car. Yeah, I don't know where she gets the information. We didn't hear the phantom. We don't hear the phantom mumble about her being the perfect experiment for this Dr. Warden. Oh, you, uh, didn't, that- you didn't hear her say deus ex machina? I did. <laughs> so, I heard it, was, it loud and clear. <laughs> <laughs> so Ruth and Dick drive off. What kind of a place does Dr. Weldon have? It was used as a private insane asylum until the doctor disappeared. Disappeared? Yes. Don't you remember that they found the body of a murdered girl in his yard? Oh. Doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> For for a guy that is missing, why they're going to go talk to him? Uh, there's there is some issues with the plot. <laughs> Only one or two. Back at the house, Sam tries to explain things to Hampton. Even that doesn't explain why this man should break into my house in this manner. Well, you see, he had rather a personal reason for wanting to scoop this story. A personal reason. Yes. Well, he's been secretly engaged to your daughter. Engaged to Ruth? Yes. Fact of the matter is, I rather unwittingly aided their romance. Why should you do that? Because I wanted to see Ruth happy. Even though I'd 
hope someday to be able to make her my wife. Now, Sam, that wouldn't have hurt my feelings a bit. That still doesn't explain. <laughs> like, no, you're you're right. It does not. <laughs> Dick and Ruth arrive at the sanitarium and discover that Lucy and Shorty have been hiding in the back seat. <laughs> First, the secret passage to the bedroom. Now, people hiding out in the back seat. I'm starting to wonder what this movie is really about. <laughs> <laughs> Dick hatches a plan to give them an excuse for being there. Ruth, Ruth will pretend to be unconscious, and Dick is looking for a doctor. So he carries her in as they enter. A creepy eye stares at them from a small slat. Shorty and Lucy go off in search of someone. Dick and Ruth stay anyone. behind in the lobby. <laughs> yeah, anybody. Yeah, they can't find anyone. They just go off and, again, they do their comedy shtick as they go. A tall, strange man appears behind the information desk. Very strange. <laughs> and he leads Dick to meet Dr. Walden. You know what kind of a place you in there? No. Man, this here is a crazy house. Crazy house? Yeah, sure. That's why you told some boy hand up with your way, 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 way about with the van here. What'd you say his last name was? Hey, you see, you don't understand. There's 7,777 seasick men here, and they're all crazy but me. Oh. So I think they, the, the credits for this call the guy Oscar. But I don't remember them saying Oscar. I think at one point Dick calls him slim or skinny or something like that. The, and I just took it as a nickname because the guy is very slim. But he it's uh, I, <laughs> I suppose we'll get into the the sheer percentage of comic relief characters in this movie a little bit later. But there's a very high percentage of characters that seem to be in it just for the comic relief. Well, Dick meets Dr. Walden, who immediately goes into explaining about the procedure he was just reading about in the lobby. Ruth meets the wriggling fingered phantom again and faints from fear as the phantom cackles. <laughs> I, I I admit I had somebody wiggle their fingers at me once and I nearly fainted. It was, <laughs> it was horrifying. Dreadful. Yes. What will happen to Ruth? Will Dick save her from the clutches of the phantom? And who is this mysterious Dr. Walden? Watch the last 19 minutes of The Phantom to find out. I can't believe it's the last 19 minutes already. It is only an hour-long movie. <laughs> it is a very... Mercifully, it is a short film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's as far as I went on the synopsis. Um, yeah, as you were saying before about the comic relief, yeah, there. this is kind of credited as sort of a chiller comedy with an emphasis on the comedy, I think. <laughs> <laughs> there is a bit in here that could give it the chiller vibe. You've got kind of the old dark house kind of uh, set up and everything. And, you know, and we were saying we've got some interesting characters and some interesting stories behind these characters that they, they introduce them. And then it's all kind of... As soon as the guy with the cape over his face starts wriggling his fingers at people, it's kind of like, <laughs> now you've, you, you went to all that trouble and for not. <laughs> it's just bizarre. It's just, <laughs> it's just bizarre. It, it really, I think, you know, I did a quick little preview of this movie when we were talking about whether we were going to watch it or not. And pretty quickly I was like, okay, yeah, this could be interesting. You know, the, the plane stunt immediately caught my attention. I thought, oh, okay, this could be cool. This is going to be another, you know, high intensity kind of, you know, 1930s movie. And then it just kind of flops around a bit like a fish <laughs> out of water. Yeah. In, in perspective, just a few months prior to this one, I think this movie was released in December of 1931. In February of 1931, Universal releases Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and this is action drama's answer. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, well, what, what bothered me the most is that I do have a couple of questions written down. We mentioned plot holes. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I've got a little short list, if you don't mind me taking a minute to go through that. Abs- no, please, absolutely. <clears throat> and, uh, if, not, if not, this episode is going to run really short. Might- <laughs> well, you know, so a couple of questions I had uh, just are, you know, basically, why doesn't the DA know what the Phantom looks like? Why do they try to make a love triangle out of it? Why did Dick disconnect the panic button in the first place? Why is Dick sneaking into the house when he wants to ask if he can marry Ruth? He could have just walked in and knocked on the door and said, hey, I wanted to marry your daughter. And do you mind if I hang out and try and catch the Phantom for you? Why does nobody else see the butler tied up in the passage with the police going in and Dick going in and all of that? Nobody else notices. Why didn't the police hear Ruth calling Dick from her room? Where did they go? Is the secret passage so big that people can just not hear each other from one end to the other? Why is nobody very funny in this movie? And why does nobody know what the Phantom looks like? He had a trial. There are newspapers. He was put on death row. Why doesn't anybody know what he looks like? Or, or, or in fact, why does he not have a name? Or a name. <laughs> it... And yeah, that's you... the thing. The biggest plot hole in this whole movie is nobody knows what the Phantom looks like. This right. is a guy that was put on public trial and condemned to death. <laughs> it's not like this is pre-newspapers here, people. Why does nobody know? what He was in a prison uniform at the beginning of the movie with a little hat on. He was dressed like every other prisoner. It's not like he had the mask on in prison. Right. So why does nobody know who, what he looks like? He just walked around with his arm in front of his face everywhere. I know, and nobody <laughs> made him not do that while he was in shackles. Right. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, just a couple of little plot holes in there that yeah, really Yeah, there are me. definitely some, some issues with the plot here. There was some issues where I thought that maybe because of the age of the film and the quality that maybe edits had been made over the years – but I watched two versions, and both seem to kind of jive with the running time that's listed online. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that's happened in this case. So maybe more plot was originally written and then not filmed or filmed and then left on the cutting room floor. But those would be things like uh, Ruth hearing the Phantom say something about Dr. Warden, uh, Walden, whatever his name mm-hmm. was. Um, that would explain, maybe that would explain someone having an explanation as to why Dick sends a telegram in the name of the Phantom. Maybe that's the kind of stuff that gets left out. I assumed that the Phantom sent the telegram because I I figured Dick is there to catch the Phantom. So you think that him having the proposition was just a coincidence in the way that – because the telegram says, I I have a proposition for you. And he does. I think they were trying to use that to trick us into thinking that Dick was the Phantom, which works brilliantly at first until you get Wiggly Finger Guy. And honestly, there's so much about the whole situation with Dick being there that just it's – it's to me clearly placed to make you think that Dick is the Phantom. Well, sure. Uh, you know, he, he's looking in through the window. He sneaks in. He takes uh, Hampton's gun. He, uh, you know, says he's got a proposition. He, you know, everything that he does points at him being the Phantom until they say, oh, <laughs> never mind. That's not the Phantom. And right. I think that it's frankly sloppy writing. And I think what you have, bear with me here, I think you have a George Lucas scenario. I think that you have a movie and a dialogue written by the director Mm -hmm. and he just didn't want anybody else's input. So there are a lot of scenes in this where somebody starts to say a line, but then they kind of correct themselves the way that they say it. And then the next person to say a line will use the exact same phrasing. Yeah, I did catch that a couple of times. There's a, and there's a couple of times, too, where you could tell that someone was sort of there's like this weird, uncomfortable waiting, uh, waiting. Yeah. And then line. what? what what's yes. my line? Yeah. Yes. And especially it, noticeable with Lucy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially noticeable, too, with. Yeah. Lucy. Yeah. What What are you doing out here? Um, I was scared. What were you scared of? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in, in that kind of timing mm-hmm. where I, I think that some of the characters, Sam is a good example, possibly Lucy, though, 
she was overplayed quite a bit. I think maybe they potentially actually were decent actors, but there just was not enough direction, active directing going on to make it feel smooth. Right. Um, so I, I, I blame a lot of it on the writing, not all of it, but a large portion of it. And then I blame a lot, a lot of it on the direction because if somebody flubs their line, you would expect a director to say, you know what, let's try that again. And maybe they'd flub their line 20 or 30 times already. But in this era where film is so expensive and you don't get 30 or 40 takes, uh, you know, I think it comes down to direction and then sloppy writing. Yeah, you you might get a rehearsal or two and then, okay, we're filming and whatever happens, Mm -hmm. that's what it is. And you can feel it a lot throughout this movie. I kept getting the impression when you're talking about the writing, this is really, it's almost like amateur writing. This is, this is writing without yes. an editor yes. where you are just, you're just writing down your ideas. You've got this great idea. Okay. And there's this love triangle, but then at, by the nowhere. end, by the end of your story, you don't connect any of that exactly. stuff. You came up with a lot of great ideas and you wrote them all down, <laughs> but then yeah, you needed you like refine an, it at all. Mm-hmm. Right. And, well, and, and you, and you and didn't you, pass it on to an editor to go, okay, well, let's, let's trim this back a little bit mm-hmm. and let's, yeah. Expand this dialogue, mm-hmm. make a little bit more sense out of these scenes. And what you end up having is you have four serious characters in this movie and you have four or more comic characters and it's right. just too many. It's just too confusing. Right. And there may be a matter of time too. I mean, this might be something where like, we need a film. Uh, call it the Phantom. Give me a script by ne- by Tuesday, because mm-hmm. uh, you, you film you film Thursday. Yeah, um, <laughs> and these is, are the people you're going to cast in it, <laughs> right? And it, that's not that isn't really unheard of. Mm-hmm. I, they may be exaggerated a little bit, but that situation is not unheard of at this mm-hmm. time in Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, this is the 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 studio system. This is. These are the people that we have on contract. These are the people you're going to use. This is the time that you have blocked out. Make a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need something for December. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> then that, I mean, phrased that way makes a lot of sense. It seems mm-hmm. extremely likely. Um, but but it that's definitely... not necessarily an excuse <laughs> because we have seen where that same situation, we've still gotten better films. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So, so yeah, it's not an excuse, but it, it, it is possibly a reason. <laughs> yeah. That? <laughs> well, I found, I found a couple things interesting in it. Um, I already mentioned I really liked Sam from the beginning. And I find it really confusing that Ruth goes for the kind of dumb mug yeah. <laughs> instead of the intelligent, successful kind of – if this Especially movie had been she- – Made yeah, in the forties, she would have gone for the successful editor who's right. intelligent and who would have solved the case. Especially because you get the impression that she has come up with a, a certain amount of breeding, you know, a well-off yes. family. I mean, she's the district Education, attorney's daughter. The house is society. this enormous mansion. Yes, yes, all these things add together yeah, so that she's can... the she's the society reporter. I mean, yes. she is around high society exactly. people. She has all to the time. be from high society to be allowed into that circle. Right. So, and then, you know, it, the early on, she says, well, this is Dick's first job. Dick is in his mid-30s. If this is <laughs> yes. his first job, I've got some eyebrows raised over here. And I mean, I'm sure, like you mentioned, it's just a, a factor of the casting. This is who we have. This is who we're going to use. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, it, there, there are, is some miscasting and some poor writing, I think, in this. Right. And it's too bad because there are definitely characters I would love to know more about, but none of them have major parts. Right. Even the the character of Dick, kind of, he he's not the same through the the entire he's film. So if he, he remains, starts out, yes, he starts he out so same. in control. I uh, ah, I unloaded the gun. Ah, I disabled your yes. you know burglar alarm and everything. But then he talks to Ruth and he's like, I think I know where where he is. <laughs> where you, you know do? Where it is the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it it, it goes oh, it's the and that's direction. Yeah. Oh, that's probably what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so not a strong outing for this director. Uh, I wonder if we'll. I wonder if we'll come across him again. He, I think he wrote and directed some seventy films there uh, from the twenties to the thirties. I noticed that so. as well. 
Maybe we should take a take a look around and see what else we can find. Yeah, I have to think that we will uh, stumble across them again. <laughs> I, I'd be interested to see. I wouldn't. I wouldn't absolutely f- refuse to watch something by him. Right. Um, just to see. Yeah, can we compare it? Is there something better out there? He. It looks like he did a good number of westerns. Well, considering the time too, that's not a hard thing to do. That's fair. Uh, yeah. That is, which is probably, not a knock. That's just an yeah. interesting. This is clearly not a, a western, so it's interesting right, yeah. that they chose him to yeah, manage this one. Yeah, I was just thinking that this may be a little bit out of the wheelhouse for a lot of people involved mm-hmm. because, that would make like, sense. Williams was you know he was a western star. Uh, Ruth did a lot of uh, serials, including a lot of like Western serials. So mm-hmm. these are a lot of Western actors mm-hmm. and a Western writer director, and they give them an old dark house tale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we should be we should be just thankful no one was caught with a lasso. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that that I was thinking there was very little that could make this movie worse, but that would have made this movie worse. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> much, much worse. They call him the cowboy <laughs> phantom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> phantom in the old west. <laughs> oh my. Yippee ha ha Phantom of the Opry. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> phantom of the Grand Old Opry. Oh, I love oh, it. Oh dear. I'm writing that in the film. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah. It, uh, it, so you know, sorry it's a bit of a stinker. Um, but it, it's again, you know, you always, I, th- I feel like I always come back where there's at least one character. I would watch a movie about that character. For me, that's Sam. I would watch one about him. I would watch a comedy about Shorty and Lucy, but they don't work in this movie. No, not in this film. No, no. not at all. No, I would, I would definitely watch Sam again. And honestly, I would watch kind of like a romance of Sam Dick and Ruth. If it was just an actual light it, romance yes. or something. If it had even, a, you know, a triangle drama. It, and it, there's so much in, a, you know, we always, I think we always use the P word. There's so much potential that's just yeah. left on the table for this. There are some really interesting storylines that are just really lightly brushed across in this movie. But none of them come to fruition. Yeah, even a lot of like the of the B plots, like the love triangle, when uh, when Sam is talking to the to D. A. Hampton there, and he tells him like, "Well, I it actually had hoped that maybe she'd marry me someday." And yes. the dad's like, "I wouldn't have minded that at all." So I'm like, where and does then, that go? So yeah. where does that really? Where does that put Dick Mallory in the, all of this? <laughs> <laughs> and then the the creepy guy sneaking into women's rooms and you know trying to presumably steal them. But I mean, but I, the, that was done, and that was done well in this era, and so I think they were tr- they just are trying to play too many records at once. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Trying to do too much and pack it into an hour. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, you know, the the other person in this <laughs> that I would be interested to see again that is bizarrely really interesting to watch and kind of funny. But just, it, it doesn't make any, well, I suppose makes sense in an insane asylum, is Oscar, the crazy guy. <laughs> he is so I like the, interesting I, to watch. I like that he's the character. He comes out and he's like, oh, I'm the information guy. And mm-hmm. like, oh, can you tell me? Yes. And he like changes his hat or, you know, yes. he kind of changes his persona because so now he's like the bellhop or he, something. Yeah. You know? So he is actually properly, I think, an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I, I assume they didn't really go find a lunatic and <laughs> just stick him on set. <laughs> and he is interesting and, and I think probably ahead of his time. Some of the mannerisms he uses, some of the strangeness he does. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's that's what I'm thinking. I mean, this is mm-hmm. this is like a Faulty Towers kind of thing yes. or something. Where, or uh, I was trying to think there's a film that, yeah, where someone does this exact same thing that you know, he shows up, he's behind the desk, and yeah, yes, I'm the clerk. And then all of a sudden you turn around and he's the bellhop. Like, yes. aren't you the 
clerk? You're like, yeah, sure. And then and then he's <laughs> turns out he's the uh, chauffeur. And he, he's actually and he's the all... lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they do it in crazy people. Okay, doctor, time for your medication. He's not really the doctor. <laughs> right. And uh, I would love to see him in something where he is the comic relief instead of one of many. And yeah, if he was the only comic relief in this film, that would have worked. It would have been hilarious. It would have been so startling. But you, you had Lucy and Shorty really pushing it over the top. Hamming it up, yeah. yeah. And even Shorty I could sort of go with. But uh, Lucy and uh, – forgive me for saying this. I'm sorry. Maybe we'll just block it out if it's too bad. She is that – she takes the place of the old Negro caretaker. And mm. she – the actions and the facial expressions are just – similar to that caricature yes. in, to such an extent that it made me uncomfortable mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and was not to me funny at all. Every time she come on the screen, I just was sighing like, oh, please go away. <laughs> Anybody but you. And I think maybe just sh- purely by comparison, she was just intolerable because there are right. funny people in this movie. Well, we do, unfortunately, have to actually put a rating on this. No, I want to keep railing on Lucy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Othel time, please. <laughs> yeah. You can give race. You can give Lucy her own rating. Oh, she's yeah. going to get a berating for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everything that we said, I have to admit, though, this isn't a film that I hated. <laughs> I still find myself sort of enjoying some of it. We've had some films... And we've had some films lately that we've watched, and in the end, it's kind of like, I I don't even want to talk about it. You know, <laughs> I, I don't want to watch this again to do my synopsis. This one was kind of like, yeah, I don't care. I'm just going to do my synopsis. It's only going to take a, you know, it won't even take an hour because the film's so short and there's so mm-hmm. much of just people walking silently through there's rooms. Ticking clocks. Lots yes. of ticking clocks. Right. Uh, so I didn't hate the film, but yeah. Rating it purely on quality and everything, I'd still, uh, I don't know, a two. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll go two. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I, this is a movie that has several heroes, several comic reliefs, several villains. And it manages to disappoint on several levels. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, almost every one. Yeah, I think it 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 actually manages to disappoint on every level because, as you mentioned, they're just the loose ends aren't tied up. There are no connections made. There's nothing fulfilling about finishing this movie. You don't watch it and go, "Well, at least you know this happened, or at least right. these people got together, or at least this person got caught." There's none of that. You're left with more questions than and almost more disappointment. Yeah. Yes, and and so I can't, in good conscience, give this any better than one Othel. All right. There's there's not. I I can't think of uh, the film quality itself is not horrendous, <laughs> but that's left more to just preservation than it is to yeah. That's any just luck more than film. anything. Exactly, right. and it's I. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen, but if you asked me, of all the movies we've watched, which one can you genuinely just leave off? This is really only the second one, I'd say. If it, if there were any conclusion or anything wrapped up at the end, or if it even had what I would consider a proper ending, which, spoiler alert, I don't feel like it does... Um, you guys can watch the last 19 minutes and tell us if you disagree. Uh, <laughs> but even if it had a, a, you know, a true ending, I still, I don't think, I don't think without having any of those things, I can do better than a one. Nope. No, that's fair. No. And I've, I will admit that I maybe I'm being more kind because I'm imagining that this would be a film that would be fun to sit around with like friends and it's like, Oh, you want to watch a bad film? You just sit around and I, just point that, out all the, yes, that yeah. is the one situation where I would say, this is the movie to watch. If mm-hmm. you want to sit around and watch a movie where you're just like, 
what? This is ridiculous. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about what? talking over the film. <laughs> Ask the questions when it happens. Wait, how the exactly. hell did he know about that? Right. If you want to rip on him, if you want to riff a movie, this is a great one. You could do worse. Yeah. Yeah. No, this has, oh, this has such riffing uh, possibilities. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of riffables. Riffables, riffability. <laughs> <laughs> the riffability of this riffability. movie is, 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 is high. The riffiness. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I think maybe just my kind of, my enjoyment of watching the kind of so bad it's good mm-hmm. uh, movies is probably why I give this one a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, than, than, than you or some might. So. I can see that. I think perhaps if I had watched it with somebody else and we had been able to just laugh at certain things, it would have been more enjoyable. But watching mm-hmm. it by myself three times. Oh, goodness. <sighs> you were a glutton for punishment. There. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was not one of the films that I finished my synopsis and then watched the rest of the film. <laughs> this was a, I finished my synopsis. And it's time to turn off the TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm done with this one. I'm going to watch something better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you know what? If you wanted to uh, make up a drinking game, this is a good movie to make up a drinking game too. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, take a drink every time they introduce another red herring. <laughs> yes, every time Lucy makes a crazy face, take a drink. Every, every time Ruth stumbles over her line or they just cut her off and say, you know what? Just make the face. Don't, don't finish the line. Just make the face. Right. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, it was fun to talk about as always. Yes. And, you know, it was kind of nice having a film that was just sort of fun to talk about and it was just light. Uh, we didn't do anything really spectacular or special for our anniversary. It was just kind of uh, situation normal, just everything. So it was – I don't think it was a horrible film <laughs> to, uh, yeah. end, to end Not our seventh year on. Not the to watch for the situation. Exactly. So we'll see if we can uh, come out of the gate swinging uh, – and with a lot of mixed metaphors. Um, start, start of eight, year eight. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's going to, year eight, you know, we'll come up with uh, 12 more fun episodes. And uh, Lydia, you'll be right here alongside me to uh, to discuss them. And I'm, that I'm truly thankful for. <laughs> Yay, I'm not fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm we just think kidding, it's, guys. We I think don't it's get time. paid. <laughs> we, we think it's time for a change. I know. I'd be just sobbing. I'm not going to talk about movies with Christopher anymore. You'll just be sitting in a dark corner by yourself, talking into a can. Wiggling my fingers at somebody. <laughs> but I... Uh, but I do thank you for joining me uh, for these seven years, and I thank all our listeners for joining us for these seven years. Whether you've been with us since day one or have jumped in at any point, uh, you are truly, truly, we truly thank you for listening, and appreciate you downloading and you know share the podcast whenever you get a chance because you know the more people find us, uh, you know the longer we'll, the more we'll keep doing it. <laughs> so take that as a promise or a threat, you know, whichever how you ever you feel. So we'll be back in in another month. So until then, we'll say goodbye. Bye. Bonus segment. So for the next seven years, what would you guys like to see happen on Orphaned Entertainment? Christopher, I'm going to start with you. What would you like to see happen over the next seven years? I would like, (laughs) well, um, hmm. I would like us to have a better run of of uh, fun and interesting films without, <laughs> without getting nailed with these stinkers every every now and again. Maybe we should start previewing uh, a couple of movies a month. Well, maybe I should start previewing a couple of movies a month and see if I can come up with something that isn't such a such a total flop. I well, think we should start having. I think we need a mascot. A mascot. Uh huh. Um, so I I want to open up to our listeners their ideas for mascots so if you've got an animal you'd like to dress up you know please feel free to send us pictures of your cat dressed as a film reel that would be great (laughs) (laughs) your 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 pet and and the little orphaned basket at the door yes oh my goodness the little note pinned yeah. That'd be so cute. <laughs> uh, I think maybe maybe prizes would be a lot of fun too. 
Now, I know the notebook went over like uh, a, a lead balloon. Like a right, lead balloon. Yeah. <laughs> I think I still have it in the bottom of my desk drawer. I've got two of them now, at least. <laughs> oh, I'm going to put my name in the basket. And then uh, we'll, we'll see what ideas we can come up with and write our own. That, you know, that's another option, too. Maybe we should do our own radio play. Maybe we should do our own five-minute mystery. Ooh. Ooh. Hmm. hmm. Or, and, and, you know, throw out some some auditions to listeners and see what they come up with, uh, if they'd like to act in it or if they'd like to help write or, it. Or if they'd like to write it and, yes, and have exa- us act it out. Oh, that would be fun. That would be oh, fun. Oh, I would love to do that. That'd be great. That would absolutely be, absolutely be up for that. Yeah. That would be awesome. Okay, so listener-written five-minute mysteries. Yeah. That's a great idea. I love it. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> All right, guys. So that's your homework. <laughs> Not homework. But you know what? If you've got a five-minute mystery that you would like to hear Christopher and Lydia perform, possibly with some additional help, if you want to do more than two characters, we can we can work with that. Oh, yeah. We'll find something. We'll find Absolutely. somebody. Absolutely. We yep. have friends. It's not just the two of us. <laughs> All right. I, I, I like that idea. Cool. I was hoping that my surprise segment would come up with a great idea. Yep. <laughs> and it looks I, like we did. So, yeah, ding, yes, ding. we did. <laughs> I figured out what to do with the surprise segment. <laughs> I, put it I, I guess I'll do the. <laughs> I'll do I'll do the records I'll start the music and then do the record scratch I guess. Yeah. Uh-huh. I I know I knew I was going to surprise you with it so uh so And then were- maybe I'll maybe I'll I'll edit uh, shorten and edit up the the idea of the 5 minute thing to do and have it as a special and just send it down the feed mm-hmm. and on its own thing as well. Yeah, so that'd it'll be, be good. It'll be in the episode and then it'll go down like a week later or something. Yes, I like just, that. It'll be out there. Make sure people hear it. Yes. Oh, I'd love to do that. That would be a lot of fun. It would be. Hurrah. All right. right. And with that. Can we hit stop now? We can hit stop now. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye.